You are listening to the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, Eve Vanderbilt, with his trusted canine co-host, Woody, where we bring it to you raw, unfiltered, with no chaser. In remembrance of Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, 1941, I'd like to play for you Franklin Delano Roosevelt's speech after that day that changed the course of American history. Senators and representatives, I have the distinguished honor of presenting the President of the United States. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, of the House of Representatives. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense, but always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. I believe that I interpret the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. 
with confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Now, please don't misinterpret that, my playing that clip. In no way am I suggesting that uh, this election is anything akin to us being attacked by a foreign nation um, <clears throat> like what happened on December 7th of 1941. However, uh, General Yamamoto allegedly, and again, historically, it's not... Um, proven that he wrote in his diary that I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. Now, the reason that I play this clip is, is twofold. One is I do want to give remembrance to that day in our history. And if you look at America prior to World War II, post-World War II, I mean, it changed our nation. Uh, and it's hard to imagine what would America been like if we hadn't had this happen in our nation. Things happen for a reason. If you are a person of faith, you believe that things happen for a reason. Is that what we're seeing now? Now, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this quote up, because it is a pivotal time in our nation's history. Another reason that I wanted to bring this up was, and I, and I think if you listen to the show, you, you know, I've said this in the past, I'm no fan of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, no fan at all. However, uh, it did instill resolve in us as a nation. I mean, we were ready after that day. Prior to that dreadful day in our country, there were several factions in our government that just wanted to stay out of the escalating war that was happening in Europe and abroad. But then the Japanese attacked America, and it gave us that resolve to fight. And I don't think we have that resolve to fight anymore, uh, very sad to say. And let's do now fast forward to the election and what we're dealing with right now is if you look at what's going on, I mean, the amount of just irregularities that have happened in this election and so many people want to just turn a blind eye. They just want to turn away from it. So many on the left are telling us all on the right, just accept it. Just accept it. You know, you might as well just get over it and accept it. And there's so many on the right that are continuing to fight back and to continue to say no, but there are so many also that are just starting to acquiesce and give in. We are at a pivotal point in this election right now. And again, I am not trying to compare what happened December 7th, 1941, what's, what's happening right now. My point is, do we as Americans have 
a resolve to see this through. Today, as I record this, it is December 7th. 2020 and tomorrow is December 8th and that's the safe harbor date and the safe harbor date in this election what that means is that all of these states need to have had reconciled all of their election issues it's it's kind of a um, good faith effort if you will safe harbor Day, leading up to the vote in the Electoral College for President of the United States of America. That happens December 14th, which is the Monday after that I'm recording this, which is on December 7th. So we have in this election basically a week, a week. Now, here's the thing is that now as we get closer, there's more and more people studying this. There's more and more people coming up with their opinions, more and more people looking at it. And some are saying uh, that, you know what, this safe harbor date and this December 14th electoral date aren't set in stone. Uh, the Election Integrity Watchdog Group, Amistad Project, they wrote a white paper that basically says December 8th and December 14th are not set in stone. And I'll leave this in the show notes. Um, what they're saying, this is a precedent that was set from previous elections, but it is not something set in stone. And as I read their white paper and as I looked through it, it looks like they're correct. However, as I go back and I look at that speech from Franklin Delano Roosevelt and I look back and I see the resolve that we as a country had uh, after that dreadful date, you look at also the date um, 9-11-2001, what happened in that day, the resolve that we had as a nation to come together and, and work together was so strong that our elected officials, they had a backbone. Uh, they don't have a backbone now. Um, and it's unfortunate, and it's sad. Uh, here, case in point, we've all been watching these stories and reading these stories about the Pennsylvania legislators that have pro proclaimed that they are going to pick the electors to send to the Electoral College. They wrote this letter, 26 of them or so signed it. It was a big deal, but this from uh, a report that came out, ntd.com, Pennsylvania House of Representatives will not move to appoint electors. Uh, this was uh, written by Christian, uh, Christina Kim, December 5th, 2020. In a shocking move, Pennsylvania's House of Representatives announced they would not be taking any steps to appoint their own electors to the Electoral College. This is after Pennsylvania's legislatures heard testimony of election fraud and even introduced a resolution to contest the state's election results. They will not be sending their electors to the Electoral College. In other words, they'll roll over, accept the results, and send the electors that will cast their votes for Joe Biden. And that's, that's what I, you know, realizing that uh, this, it's December 7th, going back, looking at, at that, listening to that FDR speech, where's our resolve? Where is our result? Look at the amount of election irregularities. I, okay, I'm giving you, a, I'm giving the left a bit of a, uh, um, a pass here. I'm not calling it fraud, even though I believe it's fraud. And many of you believe it's fraud. You look at all of these election regularities. This is our vote for the presidency of the United States of America. And the amount of irregularities that have gone on, and I'm going to go over some more uh, later on in the show today, but the amount of irregularities, it's so much that don't we deserve, don't you deserve, don't the American people deserve 
to 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 hear them all out to to run down i mean there's so much and there's so much at stake here don't we deserve these things to be sussed out as they say i mean 75 million people up about voted for president donald trump that's 75 million americans that are going to feel very disenfranchised come um january 20th if joseph biden is inaugurated as president of the united states now Again, the dates are to tomorrow, December 8th. Again, I'm recording this on December 7th. Uh, December 8th is Safe Harbor Day, where all of the states are supposed to have reconciled all their election issues. It's the good faith effort date. All right, in good faith, here's what you're going to see. Here, here are the electors that we're sending. But that's supposed to be announced, supposed to be decided today or tomorrow. And then on December 14th, the Electoral College meets, and those electors that are cast in good faith allegedly tomorrow i say allegedly because there is some wiggle room there will cast their vote for presidency of the united states and when that happens if joseph biden gets the maximum number or that or the number needed plus which is 270 uh he is then and only then president-elect he is not president-elect right now Contrary to what Chris Wallace wants you to believe. Now, if you didn't hear that exchange, it was an exchange over the weekend. Uh, Chris Wallace was interviewing, I guess, somebody from the Trump administration, and that person in the conversation said, Vice President Biden, and twice Chris Wallace tried to collect him by, correct him by saying, don't you mean President-elect? President-elect. The guy, with a lot of class, just ignored Chris Wallace, which was really, I mean, the right thing to do. It was just stupid on Chris Wallace's part. For somebody who's supposed to be so intelligent, in, in the know, for somebody that's in the, the mix up in Washington, D.C., to be so just blind to the facts, because the facts are that you could say Joseph Biden is the president-elect all you want. He is not. He simply is not. Semantics, I know, but facts matter. If he achieves the the desired result that he has or the 270 electoral votes on December 14th when the electoral college meet, yes, then he will be president-elect Joe Biden and president-elect Kamala Harris. Right now, they're just fake, and there is no such thing as the office of the president-elect. It's another BS office that was created by none other than Barack Obama just as a psychops marketing tool. That's all it is, BS. So if you look at this, um, December 8th date and this December 14th date that now we come to find out are not written in stone. They're just a precedent. But precedents are set in our country and are followed for sometimes hundreds of years, as the case is here. You had Mark Serrano on uh, Steve Bannon's show the other day. Now, Mark Serrano is... You can take it for what you want. Is he's president of Proactive Communications, uh, policy, political strategist, communications, uh, digital media professional. He's also a senior advisor to Trump. So here is what he had to say on Steve Bannon's show. On the two dates coming up, the milestone dates coming up, Steve, December 8th, when states are supposed to pick their electors, and December 14th, when the Electoral College is supposed to, to vote. So you know, we gathered and said, where do these dates come from? Hold, hold on, I just want to make sure the eighth, the, hold it, hold it. The eighth is, the eighth is considered the safe harbor. That's when it's all supposed to be picked and they show up in the state capitals on the 14th. Uh, the, the, that's really the electoral college meets on the 14th. Those are the two dates that are supposedly locked in stone. And this white paper saying they're not locked in stone. I asked a very innocent question. Where on earth do these dates come from? And so the, the lawyers, the experts at Amistad told me, well, there's only one date that is constitutional, one deadline. 
That's January 20th when the president assumes office. That's it. That's the only deadline that matters in the U.S. Constitution. These dates come from a federal statute that was passed in 1948. Well, so you'd have to presume that a federal statute defining these dates supersedes the U.S. Constitution to apply them when there is great proof and evidence of fraudulent ballots across these states, Steve. So this white paper lays out all the facts, lays the history out from 1948, the statute, and expresses and clarifies that those dates are not relevant. They are not, the, the media is gonna use those dates, Steve, starting Monday, I think, to claim game over, and they're wrong. And these state legislators need to recognize that they are not subject to these dates. Okay, so he's not incorrect there. He's actually correct. But notice there's something that he said that's absolutely crucial to this. The state legislatures need to understand they are not beholden to these dates. That's the key. That's the crux, the crux of it all right there is if these state legislatures do nothing and they just acquiesce and follow the this precedent that was set December 8th, December 14th, well, it is all over. I hate to tell you this, and I hate to be the one to break it, but the reality of it is, unless we have a state legislature that has spine enough to actually do something, the inevitable is going to happen. And that inevitable is Joe Biden becomes president of the United States. So let's, let me talk about that real quick as far as what can they do. And I mentioned this before. In the Constitution of the United States, it's not defined how presidents are elected. All it is, is, is said is it's punted, punted to the states. The states can decide. So you can have elections in the states like we had now. They can go for candidate A or candidate B, and the state legislatures can decide who they're going to actually vote for. They can overrule the will of the people. Absolutely. But here is our problem. Our problem is our state legislatures don't have the spine to do this. They don't have the resolve to do this because they fear the outcome. They fear that the the blowback, if you will, and that's what's wrong with politicians often, always in America, is in uh, worldwide, is politicians fear the loss of all those delicious perks that they get being in elected office. You know, state legislatures don't make a lot of money. They're not in it for the money. They're in it for, you know, we would hope, you would hope they're in it for the betterment of their country and the betterment of their citizens. But all too often, they're in it for the perks. And once they, they may, they may go to office uh, to, uh, with the right intention that they want the betterment for the citizens of their respective county, respective state, for the country. And then once they get there, whoa, I like all these perks. This is kind of nice. These people are giving me a lot of attention and I feel good about all this. this is great. I don't want this ever. To go away and then they can then they start voting just to keep themselves in office and they're scared right now there i mean look at what the media is doing look at how the media is pertaining look at like again i use chris wallace as an example chris wallace look at look at what he did with that um uh, person from the trump administration he the guy just says vice president biden that's that's what you do vice president biden is no longer vice president but he gets retained a title and it's out of respect but he's not the president-elect. And Wallace had to interrupt the guy and said, don't you mean president-elect? Don't you mean president-elect? Wallace is the interviewer. He's supposed to be a journalist. 
That's not his role, but this is what the media is doing. The media is browbeating these people, politicians, peop, us, their audience, into just accept this. You need to accept this election. You need to accept it and move on. Well, no, we don't need to accept it and move on. And if our state legislators had the spine and realized the power that they have, they'd be amazed at what they could accomplish. I, I think they're actually more than likely putting themselves in a position to lose their next election. I can tell you here in the state of Georgia, uh, our governor, Brian Kemp, has taken a lot of flack because he's been kind of wishy-washy and a pansy on this election. He's kept himself at a distance. He said he, he's called for a audit of signatures. He hasn't demanded it. There's a big difference in I call for it, I demand it. I know what his role is. I know he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the authority to say do it, but he has the bully pulpit, something that Trump has used effectively in his presidency. So our governor gives this wishy-washy pansy ass statement of uh, I call for the Secretary of State to do a signature audit. No, Governor, you need to demand it. You need to pound your fist on the podium and demand it, but you don't. You just don't have the spine. You don't resolve. Your election is coming up in two years. People aren't going to forget. Raspenberger, our Secretary of State, you know, said that, hey, I answer to the people. Uh, if they want to fire me, they can fire me. Well, guess what? Probably in the next election cycle, they're going to fire you. People aren't going to forget this. And it's because our elected officials don't stand up for what's right and the people that they represent. If you're a Republican legislator in Pennsylvania, you should be outraged that your fellow Republican legislators in Pennsylvania have decided to roll over. You should be absolutely outraged. But are you? You're, or are you just worried about your next election? You, and the people in Michigan, same thing. The Republican legislature uh, is, is in charge I, I believe the same for wisconsin i know here in georgia so you got wisconsin georgia pennsylvania michigan republicans control the legislature and what are they doing nothing the, to, to go back to what um mark serrano said in that clip i played it would mean that these legislatures these republican legislatures would have to put aside their fears of what the left, and it's not even their own constituency. They don't fear their own constituents. Have you noticed that? They fear the left. They fear the media. They don't fear the people who voted for them uh, because if they did, they would absolutely act accordingly, but they don't because they, they fear what's going to, they fear that the media will misalign them so much. The media will go after them so much uh, that come next election cycle, they're going to lose their election. And they don't, I mean, it's just to me, it's mind boggling. I mean, the Republicans control the state legislatures across America, and they're allowing this to happen. Now, I, I get it. It's a bold move. If these four states just all of a sudden stood up, and, and Arizona also is the same thing. If they just sit up and say, you know what? We, the state legislatures, have decided that we're going to cast uh, the, we're going to send electors to the electoral college that will vote for Trump because of all the irregularities in our election system in our state. And the, we, or, or they stand up and to say, we are not going to uh, certify by December 8th until we can go through all of these irregularities and 
make sure that no votes were disenfranchised. Or they can say, we are not going to send them to the Electoral College at all. And then neither candidate gets to 270. And then that goes to the House. Uh, Steve, Mark Serrano, I'm sorry. Mark Serrano is absolutely right. The date that is hard in the Constitution is January 20th, where we will have a transfer of power or a continuance of power one way or the other. But up until then, he's absolutely right. If you go back and you research it now, December 8th, December 14th are just arbitrary dates. New, you know, it's, you know, and I'm just dismayed by the lack of resolve that we have in our state legislatures. What do we think is going to happen? I mean, the legislatures are going to be our firewall if we lose the Senate. Does that make you feel safe? Does that, does that comfort you that these guys are going to be the firewall if we lose the Senate? And let's talk about the Senate. The Senate all hinges on these two runoff elections here in the state of Georgia. That's scary. Did you watch the debates, the Senate debates here in Georgia uh, Sunday, Sunday night? Well, if you did, <laughs> you would have seen that David Perdue wasn't there. And yeah, David Perdue decided that he was going to decline the, um, the debate. And he here's from a, a, a Twitter thread from Charles Bethia, a scoop. Republican Senator David Perdue has declined an invitation to participate in another debate with Democrat challenger John Ossoff. This debate was proposed for December 6th, a month before the two Georgia runoffs that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Purdue also declined to take part in a debate with Ossoff just before the general election after a clip from the previous debate went viral. In that clip, uh, seen by 14 million people, 14 million times, Ossoff calls Purdue a crook, attacking the health of the people you represent. So Purdue declined not just one but two debates. And I started to watch it Sunday night, and Ossoff had the podium all to himself all to himself to call Purdue out for his lack of participation and all other kind of things. Uh, basically driving home the same point that he was a crook, that he's not representing the people, that he couldn't be here. He couldn't take the time out to represent the people. And then they showed the empty podium. Do you really think that was the right call for David Purdue? No, it was stupid. Now, I'm going to share something with you. I've been debating whether or not to share with you. And I, I, after that, after what happened Sunday night at the debate, I, I, I'm, I decided to go ahead and share this. I've reached out to these campaigns to help in any way I can. I'm in Georgia, and I, I'm, I mean, whether it was knocking on doors, whether it was participating in uh, rallies, whatever it was, I reached out, and I got a call back from somebody from David Perdue's campaign. And the guy's name was an unusual name. I couldn't make out what his name was on the the message that he left me. So I called him back and I asked him, you know, is your name this or the other? You know, I just wanted to verify his name. The guy hung up on me. He hung up. I mean, I asked politely, hey, I just want to make sure I'm saying your name right. And he hung up. No other conversation. No other, uh, can I ask who's calling? No, well, you may ask why you're asking that. No, he hung up. And I'm like, okay, wow, I guess that was rude of me to ask him and make sure I was pronouncing his name correctly. So I called him back, left a message, apologized. Hey, didn't mean any way to, you know, um, uh, be disrespectful. Just wasn't sure with how the name was played. Please call me back. Never called me back. 
if that's how they're running a campaign, is it any wonder why he law why he didn't win? David Perdue didn't win in a, uh, with fifty percent plus one vote in the election on November third. I mean, he doesn't show up for the debates. Is this any way? I mean, what is at stake right now is so important in this election with the Senate remaining in control for the Republicans. What is it's so important, but yet here we have. I mean, they showed an empty podium. Do you know how powerful of a message that is to the opposition? I mean, they don't get it. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm at a point now where it's like, you guys have got to be kidding me. Stand up, have resolve, fight back, get a freaking spine. Because the left is running roughshod over all of you. The left is absolutely winning in this respect. They're winning in the public arena, in, in the media. I mean, thank God they didn't win in the general election. And, you know, and they didn't. They lost bigly in the general election. They, they, they lost more state legislatures. They lost a governorship. Uh, they lost, what is it, 12 seats in the House of Representatives? And now we're here. Nancy Pelosi wants to overturn a couple of them that are close. And it's just to the point where when will our Republican leadership have a frickin' spine and fight back? And that's why people liked Purdue. I mean, sorry, not Purdue, Trump. That's why the people liked Trump. I'm trying to find a story here real quick from uh, Town Hall or front page. Here it is. Uh, the Dems had no choice but to rig the election. I'll read the opening paragraph, but that's not the point of this story I, I wanted to make. It is uh, In the last weeks of the presidential campaign, Donald Trump was drawing tens of thousands of enthusiastic supporters several times a day and people across the land and at sea formed massive rallies and caravans of their own. Meanwhile, the Biden camp was barely limping along with one or two funeral gatherings a week before, at best, a few dozen people, sometimes overwhelmingly outnumbered by Trump supporters on the outside, not on the inside. The campaign's apparent strategy was to minimize the candidate's exposure and let the media do the work for them. Not only because the candidate was feeble and the campaign advocated lockdowns, but also because evidence began emerging of the Biden family's dealings with foreign oligarchs and corrupt countries, most importantly, communist China. And the article goes on to explain why they pretty much had to win because of what's happened. And now we go to the Senate races here in Georgia in the second to last paragraph in this piece. And now for the coup de grace. Uh, the Democrats have Georgia on their mind with two Senate seats to be had and with control of the Senate come two new states, a few more Supreme Court seats and good night, Irene, as Chuck Schumer, the potential leader of the Senate, put it. Now we take Georgia and then we change the world, which makes Atlanta the next stop on the great heist train. That's right. If the Republicans lose the Senate, uh, they're. I mean, just minimum. At minimum, what's going to happen is the they will give statehood to Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. And they could do this without state legislatures. They don't need to go through the state legislatures on this. They could do this, and they'll stack the Supreme Court. They don't. The state legislatures and the governors will have no role in this because now they'll have control of the federal government and they'll have control of the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the presidency. And they need the third branch, which is the judicial, and the judicial is they'll get that by stacking the court, the Supreme Court. 
You don't think that's not going to happen? And your state legislatures are sitting there just going, oh, oh you know, this is too tough of a fight for us. We got to worry about our reelection. Meanwhile, the Democrats are focused and they're driving this forward. By the way, Kelly Loeffler, she did um, a debate with Raphael Warnock. And I got to tell you, I like Kelly Loeffler, but her debate performance was awful, just awful. She was stiff. And all she kept doing was saying the same talking points over and over and over how radical Loeffler was. I'm sorry, uh, not Loeffler, Warnock. That's all she kept saying. And this, I mean, so much so that people, it was so stiff her performance that people actually think she was wearing a wire can you believe that this is coming from the left so warnock who is so far out there to the left uh, and it, he has a chance to win and right now in the polls he's winning i know i know forget you know who needs the polls now when you rig elections right but right now he's gaining he's leading her in the polls 52 percent to 45 i think is the last poll i saw so you've got David Perdue, who's doing nothing. I mean, absolutely horrible performance at the last debate. Well, he wasn't there, you say. So how could he have a horrible performance? Well, they showed the, the, the podium. That's right. They panned to the podium. When Ossoff would ask a question, they panned to the podium, and there was no David Perdue there to answer. Why are Republicans so bad at this? Why can't they just figure this out? What, they should have learned from Trump. Trump had a rally uh, here in the state of Georgia, in Valdosta, Georgia, over the weekend, and it was classic Trump. Purdue and Loeffler were there, and kudos to Loeffler for going there. Um, uh, uh, originally, she wasn't going to show up at the event because one of her campaign staffers was killed in a car accident. And I'm not going to get into the car accident. I know there's a lot of um, conspiracy theorists out there on the car accident. I, I, you know, the guy wasn't a high level. He was a volunteer in the campaign apparently the Kemp family knew him and all that and my my prayers and thoughts to the family losing a loved one but anyway Loeffler originally wasn't going to go there but she did show up and Purdue was um trying to say something to Trump and ask the crowd I need to be quiet so I can say something directly to Trump I can say something to Trump and the crowd was chanting fight for Trump fight for Trump and Trump I mean it was a huge crowd classic classic Trump I mean the man is, is such a fighter, and here he is given the Republicans the blueprint to win, and they simply refuse to take it. I worry about the Senate election here in Georgia. I'm worried, and I'm not even worried that Dominion's going to steal it for him. That's not even what I'm worried about. I'm worried about you got one, one Senate candidate that refuses to debate and uh, is arrogant. He's, got, he's running an arrogant campaign. Obviously, his people on his staff that are just the same way. And then you got another one who is wooden and just repeats talking points. I mean, Raphael Warnock is a far, far left radical. I mean, far left radical. I'll be doing some more on him in the coming days, in the coming weeks leading up to the election because, I mean, this guy. I mean, jeez, what's he got against white people? He is just like this guy. Here's a couple of things. This is from Political Insider. Uh, 
America, nobody can serve God and the military, he said. There's a video that shows him saying that. He says, you can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammoth at the same time. Now, um, Loeffler challenged him on that debate. He came back with uh, a spirited rebuttal, and she didn't do anything with it except just keep repeating the same thing. Uh, Warnock defended anti-Semi and American pastor Jeremiah GD America Wright. Uh, he said of Wright's anti-American speech after 9-11 that it was simply a form of truth-telling and that the social transformation that's been the hallmark of Reverend Jeremiah Wright's ministry is why we are happy to honor him. Uh, Warnock signed a letter comparing Israel to apartheid in South Africa and as a mentor that called for the destruction of everything white and argued white Christians are satanic. This is his mentor that did that. So uh, this is, now, other things that Warnock done, he's called police, and this is, this is when Loeffler kept repeating this over and over, but gave no context of it, and he rebutted it, and she did nothing with it. It goes, that time Warnock called police officers gangsters and thugs and bullies. That time he worked for a church that hosted and praised Fidel Castro. Did you know that? In 1995, he was working at a church in New York City, and it's a, a radical leftist church, brought in Fidel Castro, and, and who gave a speech, and they were chanting, Fidel, Fidel, Fidel. That's who this guy is. Uh, the time he was accused of hindering a police investigation into child abuse, in which charges were later dropped. So Warnock is a bad actor, and he's, this is the seat that I'm hoping we can keep. I'm hoping Loeffler can pull it out. Um, I don't think David Perdue can, I be, to be quite honest with you. He's running an arrogant campaign and he's missing opportunities to actually tell the people and show the people why we should chose him. I'm, uh, you know, again, I, I hesitate to say this, but I will. He was the CEO of Dollar General. That culture and that company, by the way, because I once and upon a time uh, looked into going to work for Dollar General as a field manager for them. I did an interview, sat down with the people, talked to several people, and decided uh, this is not a culture I want to be a part of. And honestly, when David Perdue announced his run for the Senate, that came to mind. Now it all makes sense to me. It's the culture of his campaign. It's the same culture. So I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, this is some scary stuff. But if the GOP loses the Senate and our, and our state legislatures are showing they don't have the backbone, this is some scary stuff. If you are in the state of Georgia, by the way, vote. Vote Republican. You vote. Vote Republican January 5th. Vote for Purdue. I'm going to vote for Purdue. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to vote for Purdue uh, because I realize that if I don't vote for Purdue, my vote goes to Ossoff, and I don't want that to happen, and I am going to vote for Loeffler. There's no doubt. I'm voting to keep the Republicans uh, in control of the Senate. But if Purdue can't get off his ass and start running a campaign where it reaches out to people and it's warm to people and it's engaging to people, I mean, it was a mistake for him not to debate Ossoff, a mistake. And if they're not looking at those campaign reels the following day and where they see that podium being shown, an empty podium while Ossoff just goes to town on Purdue saying whatever he wants to say because there's nobody there to refute it, I hope they realize the mistake they made. Hey, listen, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the PBL Podcast. We're going to talk some more about some of the election regularities going on here and um, that Soros, there's, <laughs> God. <laughs> 
George Soros is back in the news. And, I, I, and this evil bastard has his tentacles in so much worldwide. But I'm going to show you how it ties into the Biden campaign and the Biden team, if he is elected president, will have a Soros acolyte in the Biden team. Again, thanks for listening to this episode of PBO Podcast Politics and Brown Liquor. Please be sure to like, follow, rate us. Give us a five-star rating. You're listening to us on iTunes. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps move us up in the algorithms. And if you don't mind, please jump over to YouTube. Our channel is Politics and Brown Liquor and subscribe. You don't have to watch it, but by subscribing, it moves us up in the algorithm and the tech giants can't fight back on the algorithm because the tech giants, along with the Democrats, along with the media, they're out to change America, fundamentally, they, we will be a leftist organization, and they're all tied in to the money given to them from China. Again, thanks for listening to this episode of the PBO Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. <laughs>